0: Let us bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty and eternal God, we gather here this morning on Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. We pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us deeper into our understanding and experience of a week that changed history, a week that stands as the cornerstone of our faith. Oh God, we, like the crowds on Palm Sunday, give you thanks and praise when the life you have given us to live is as we want it to be. Like the crowds, we lay our garments on the road as an expression of our commitment to be your disciples. Like the crowds, we wave the palm branches, the symbol of revolution, of new life, when we feel part of the change, the revolution to which you call this broken world. Like the crowds, we number ourselves among the followers of your son. God, is your disciples and as a Christian church, we commit our lives and our resources to help bring about your kingdom on earth, to eliminate prejudice and injustice, to usher in an era of peace and love. Remind us that your call to change the world begins with us. Remind us that you call each of us to undergo or undertake the same spiritual revolution that you call our nation and our world to undertake. It is easy to talk about tearing the temple down and rebuilding it three days. It is more difficult to pray that under the guidance of your Holy Spirit, our inner religious structures will be torn down and rebuilt, that we might become a new and shining temple of faith. God, it's easy to feel close to you when our life is going well. Help us to feel close to you in the other moments as well. Help us to feel close to you when, like Jesus, we feel alone in the garden. Help us to feel close to you when friends betray or desert us. Help us to feel close to you when people don't understand. Help us to feel close to you when we are carried through some of the painful, agonizing moments of our lives when we suffer our own kinds of death. God, save us from being part of the fickle crowd that praised your son on Palm Sunday and who, only a few days later, betrayed him, denied him, deserted him, and nailed him to the cross. Help us to become true disciples, true followers of your son. Help us to walk the path that he walked that like him, we may rise from death to new life. God, in these moments of silent prayer, we open our hearts to all those whom we know to be in special need in our lives, in our country, and around the world. We ask this, our sanctuary prayer and our many prayers, both spoken and unspoken in the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The first of our scripture lessons this morning is taken from the 118th Psalm, verses 1 and 2, and then 19 through 29. The psalmist says, "Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The steadfast love endures forever. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I give, will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And for the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 10 and 14, chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. This is the uh, biblical account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? The disciples told them what Jesus had said, and the bystanders allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. And the 14th chapter, verses 32 to 36. Jesus and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And He said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, Jesus threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. This ends our scripture lessons for this morning. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, the fifth Sunday in Lent, marks the beginning of Holy Week, the most sacred week of the Christian year. Many of the symbols of our faith arise from the events of this week, the palms that remind us of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the bread and the wine of the Last Supper, the painting hanging in the wall of our sanctuary that depicts Jesus alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, crucifix with Jesus' body hanging on the cross, and the empty cross, was called the Resurrection Cross, a reminder of resurrection, God's power over death through the Easter experience. This morning, in addition to welcoming back our choir after a three-year hiatus and celebrating what they bring to us, what they share with us in worship, and in addition to expressing my hope that two specific people in the choir whose names I will not mention, lest I embarrass them, will kindly refrain from whipping each other with their palms or tickling the ears of other members in the choir on Palm Sunday, I would like to uh, single out one of the themes suggested in our scripture readings, a theme we touched on last week, of the difference between wants and needs. We all know the story. Jesus and his disciples were entering Jerusalem, the holy city, to observe Passover, the celebration of the Exodus from Egypt, the time when the angel of death passed over the houses of the Israelites, sparing their sons but killing the firstborn of the Egyptians. The time in the upper room was scheduled as a Passover meal, as a Seder, but it was not a Passover meal. It was something different. It was Jesus' last supper with his disciples. The consecration of the Lord's Supper. The sacrament of Holy Communion. The sacrament of presence. What a range of feelings must have been present on Palm Sunday as Jesus and the disciples entered Jerusalem. The disciples were thrilled by the size of the crowds. Judas Iscariot... And the other disciple that is known as Simon the Zealot must have realized that in this enthusiastic following there was a revolutionary potential just waiting to be tapped. Some scholars have speculated that the motivation behind Judas's betrayal of Jesus was political. By turning Jesus over to the authorities, Judas would force Jesus' hand. With his back to the wall, Jesus might call down a legion of angels to rid their country of the hated Roman oppressors. Judas failed to realize that Jesus wasn't interested in political power. He was interested in spiritual power. He had no intention of ruling his nation or the world. He preferred to rule over our hearts. Upon Sunday, the crowd hailed Jesus as a conquering hero. By spreading palm branches, a symbol of revolution in his path, the crowd revealed their expectation that Jesus would become the religious political leader of the long-awaited revolt. They expected him to lead their people from bondage to freedom, just as Moses had done so many years before. When Jesus did not meet their perceived need, they became angry turned on him, and crucified him. The dynamics of Holy Week challenges us to examine the difference between wants and needs. A need is something that is essential to our well-being. The humanistic psychologist Abraham Maslow is known for his formulation of a hierarchy of needs. At the bottom of the pyramid, the most basic level of need is physiological our need for air, food, and water. The next level is the need for bodily safety and security. Then comes the need to belong, the need to be a part of a family or a community, like our church, for example, and the need to experience, to give and receive love. At the top of the pyramid is the need for self-actualization, what Maslow describes as Living according to our full potential of becoming who we fully are. These are needs. If our survival needs are not met, our life is endangered. If we are not safe, or if we were not safe in our homes when we were children, all our energies will be directed to this end and our life will be centered in the pursuit of control. If the need to belong, the need to love and be loved, the need to discover who we are as unique human beings and become that to the best of our ability, if these needs are not met, we will experience difficulty with our attachments, our relationships, and our lives will not be lived to the fullest potential. Wants are matters of preference. When I say I need my car to start in the morning, I'm actually stating a preference. I would prefer that my car start so the schedule of my day will not be interrupted. But to be honest, I don't need my car to start. If it doesn't start, I will call AAA and I will find another way to get to work. One of the core issues behind human suffering is the inability to distinguish between wants and needs. We have a lot of wants or preferences in life. When we visualize or state them as needs, we come to believe that they are necessary to our well-being. Wants masquerading as needs become demands upon others. They become demands upon life. They can also become demands upon God. At the time of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, did the crowds need a revolutionary Messiah? Or did they just want this? To be sure, they would have preferred to be free of the oppressive yoke of the Romans. But was this really a need? Perhaps what they really needed was a new experience of God. And this is what they got. Remember, when we confuse wants with needs, when we regard our wants as needs, they become demands upon the outer world, upon others. When this happens, other people become a means to the fulfillment of our wants. We can become blind to the reality, the uniqueness of what we encounter in these other people. They become a means to the end of our happiness, not an end in themselves. Let me give you an example. Some time ago, several decades ago, before I discovered that fast food restaurants were created by Satan to help us kill ourselves, and he's certainly doing a good job, I was standing in the line at a Burger King. I was staring at the mem- menu board as if I didn't already have it memorized. I knew what I wanted, a double Whopper with bacon and cheese, a large serving of fries, and a medium diet Pepsi. Yes, the diet Pepsi was my nod to a healthy diet. My line was moving slowly. Have you ever noticed this, that the line you select is seldom the fastest moving line. I briefly considered that it might be a God punishment for being in a fast food restaurant, but I quickly set that thought aside. The line to my right was moving faster. Instead of taking the time to breathe deeply and meditate, as Buddhists advise us to do when we encounter a speed bump on the road to life, I became annoyed. I'd probably been standing in line no more than one or two minutes, but I apparently had certain expectations regarding the speed of service. In addition, I was in a hurry to get somewhere. I needed the line to move quickly. As I approached the front of the line, I thought of making a sarcastic remark ...to the person at the register about how I thought this was supposed to be a fast food restaurant. When I got to the counter, I discovered that the lovely young woman at the register had Down syndrome. She was doing the very best she could to fill our orders... ...but she just wasn't as fast as the person at the register beside her. You could probably... Imagine how I felt. The word small doesn't quite capture. Burger King had been, Burger King, by the way, had been enlightened enough, had been gracious enough, had been caring enough to hire this young woman, train her, and give her the opportunity to earn a living helping people, which she obviously loved to do. Her manager and the other customers were patient with her. They were accepting of her limitations. I was the one who was annoyed because it took me three minutes to get my artery-clogging junk food instead of two. I couldn't believe that I had been in that much of a hurry or that my expectation of service at a fast food establishment was so narrow that I had almost been cruel and hurtful to someone who was doing her very best to serve me. This experience was a lesson not only in the difference between wants and needs, it was also a lesson in humility. Much of our life is comprised of wants which we confuse with needs. I may want to be happy. I may want to be wealthy. I may want to be healthy. Yes, even this is a want, for my life will go on, if I become sick or handicapped, and I may actually grow spiritually through it if I face it in the right way. Just because we feel something is important doesn't make that something a need. We need to be a little more circumspect about what we call needs, about what we describe as the necessities of life. Jesus needed to fulfill his destiny, a destiny to which he was called by God. He needed to fulfill his destiny even when it was a difficult and painful road. There are times when we too need to fulfill our destiny, when we must walk a difficult and painful road. Jesus entered Jerusalem when he would have preferred to walk away. Later that week in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus showed us how to distinguish wants from needs. He prayed, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup of suffering from me. In this prayer, Jesus was stating a want. If possible, he would prefer not to suffer. This was a very human, a very understandable want. Yet it was still a want, a preference. The second half of Jesus' prayer in the garden is the most powerful prayer in the Bible. Jesus ends his prayer, his honest expression of his wants, by saying, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. When we pray, we often express our preferences. We articulate our desire for a certain state of affairs in our lives. We verbalize our wants. In the deepest kind of prayer, however, we ask for guidance and strength to do what God wants us to do. If we were to live our lives as Christians, God's wants or wishes would become our needs. The American transcendental philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson said that the needs of life are fewer than most people realize. He said we need to love and be loved. We need someone with whom we can share our joys and sorrows. We need to make our contribution to life. We need to do something worthwhile with the time entrusted to us. We also need a faith in God, or a relationship with God that will guide the unfolding of our life. The great religious leaders, Lao Tzu, Jesus, the Buddha, Francis of Assisi, Albert Schweitzer, Mahatma Gandhi, and Mother Teresa, know that we need little in the way of material possessions to live a happy and fulfilling life. They would take a skeptical view of what we call the necessities of life. They would counsel us to live simply, that we might share with others, to live simply that others might simply live. This is the heart of Christian stewardship. When we look at the events of Holy Week, practically everyone confused these two categories. The disciples knew what they wanted to happen, but it wasn't what needed to happen. They wanted the week to end in a victory, not a crucifixion. The crowds on Palm Sunday knew what they wanted from Jesus. They wanted a military leader. This is what they wanted, but it was not what God wanted. It was what they wanted, but it was not what they needed or what the world needed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew what he wanted. He preferred not to be mocked and derided, to be spit upon, to be whipped, to have a crown of thorns smashed down upon his head. He preferred not to have nails driven through his hands and feet, to be nailed to a cross and hang there until he died. Jesus ended his prayer by saying that what was most important was what God wanted. Jesus was able to view the events of Holy Week through the eyes of God. And this is what we try to do in prayer, to see ourselves and others through the eyes of God. In the last analysis, it is not our will, but God's. that should guide or direct the unfolding, the living of our life. In Holy Week, as we reflect upon the last days of Jesus' life, we, like him, need to distinguish wants from needs. We need to think about what we have come to call the necessities of life, how necessary some of them really are. We need to think about the matter of living simply, following the example that Jesus set for us, and how this would affect, how this would shape our stewardship. We need to think about what it means to be fed the bread of life, which we share with each other during the sacrament of Holy Communion. And We need to think about what God wants from us as individuals and as a church, the ways in which God's wants should become our needs. If we can do this, we, like Jesus, will be able to pass through the highs and lows of our life, Palm Sundays and the Good Fridays, with the triumphant faith of Easter. Let us pray. Almighty God, be with us as we enter into Holy Week. Be with us in such a way that the events of Holy Week that was so important to Jesus and his disciples, and which have become so important to the world will also become important to us. Be with us as you were with Jesus and the disciples through both the high moments and the low moments, the moments of happiness and pleasure and the moments of pain and tragedy. And help us through the Palm Sundays and the Bondi Thursdays and the Holy Fridays of our lives to place our trust in you, that you will lead us to the resurrection and new life in the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.